0: Ambition Empower is a professional education program. It's directed towards design leaders and UX professionals interested in upping their game through a continuous learning journey that engages you in small chunks every week during your membership. Find out more by visiting uxpodcast.com forward slash empower. UX podcast episode 292.
1: listening to ux podcast coming to you from stockholm sweden
0: helping the ux community explore ideas and share knowledge since 2011.
1: we are your hosts james royal lawson and Pat axboom with listeners in countries and territories all over the world from myanmar to armenia and joining us today is product person team leader and music lover christian krumlish christian consults on product and ux leadership is the author of Product Management for UX People, and he also plays the ukulele.
0: And Christian is also one of the new track leaders on Ambition and Power, running the track aptly named after his book, Product Management for UX People, where you get the opportunity to learn more about applying the product mindset.
1: And I guess, then we need to know a little more about what product is and the product mindset.
0: Product management. I think the first time I heard this, uh, to be honest, I was a bit confused by the word product, uh, Mm -hmm. thinking it was something physical, something tangible. Whereas most people seem to be working with digital services. So my first question really is, what is product management and why is it called that?
2: Yeah, I I, I had that experience too when I first heard it. Uh, I was at Yahoo and, and the user experience design team that I was part of was itself inside a product organization and I was like well what's that you know and why are there these product managers who seem to be in charge of everything and you know why does every every designer's org chart terminate in a product person if you go up high enough um, and why is it called product i mean at Yahoo actually they had had a a role called producer very very early on back when there was so, sort of a media metaphor on the internet as well you know that making web pages or creating content for the web was like being a producer of a show or something yeah in some ways mm. except because it was if you think back to this like webmaster era they also made the pay you know they, they were actually also front-end developers so eventually they created two roles from what used to be the producers at yahoo and one was was front-end developers or whatever they called them at the time and the other were product managers they you know they, 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 they were, that's just in that one company i mean product management itself has a A much longer history. It does obviously come from, as you say, physical objects, uh, industrial processes, um, you know, mass production, and and that's where a lot of at least I think that's where the metaphor of product lands in a lot of our heads. You know, if we, and especially any of us who probably lived before the internet was here, Um, in some ways I think we're all leaving out the word digital. You know, we're really talking about digital product management. so it's or or you know it's like virtual products as opposed to physical physical products and because we work in tech we don't say that part because it's it feels redundant maybe mm. um, but that's part of what's going on and I think that uh, um, there's all kinds of reasons why product management is in the position that it's in but I think part of it is an understanding that even though when you make software um, it's not a physical product that is sort of that you have to tool a factory for specifically to make and that once it's sent out on the on the trucks it's done you know like you know nothing's ever done on the web so you you don't get to ship and then say well for good or bad I'm all done because you find a bug or a problem and you're patching it and things like that you can't patch the the box of detergent once it, once it's out in the in the world um, you can recall it maybe but uh so so in some ways it's a metaphor in some ways it's a it's a literal truth i mean yeah. I, I, when i started asking this question myself about um, why is it called product, or is product even a good metaphor to be using on, on, with software? Um, you know, I did a little of the basic, like, looking up the definition kind of stuff that doesn't hurt to get grounded in. And I found that if you look it up, some definitions of product will actually describe it as a product or service. Um, and what it has to do is actually more about the commodification or, or the, ma- you know, the ability to sort of package an experience in a way that it's reliably consistent and valuable for people enough that they choose to buy it or hire it or return to use it again and again. Um, and so valuable that that, that that engagement with a customer or an adoptee is sufficient to keep the enterprise going. You know, and so the product managers sort of think of that whole uh, sort of lens around what we're making in terms of, as opposed to, say, making art with the Internet or making fun sites because it's just your passion or your hobby, um, if you're doing it for a living, then a, a certain commercial mindset or an understanding about how you have to meet the needs of your audience if you want to stay in business, sort of, I think that's what product management is kind of rooted in. Mm-hmm.
1: I noticed you, you mentioned a few times that oh, you use the phrase product. Mm-hmm. Um, does, what do we mean when we say just product? Are we, are we referring to product management or is there something else going on there?
2: Yeah, no, that's a, that's that's also an interesting question. I, I, I think I do try to speak to that a little bit in my book. I think I'll tell you first how I learned to say product, and then I'll kind of deconstruct it a little bit. So I learned that it sounded cooler to say product than to say product management. You know, they just if you just start talking about product, and maybe just because when you clip and abbreviate things, it's a shorthand and it, it's kind of insider knowledge. And so that's probably a little bit where it comes from. Um, and you'll see that people, and, and I think it's some discomfort with the management part of it, of the name, because it's quite misleading, right? Because it's not a people manager job. Uh, it, you, you could be called, it wouldn't be as, you probably wouldn't be paid as well, but you you could be called a product coordinator and, and, and it would be the same meaning, really, you know, mm-hmm. of manager. So I think sometimes people allied the manager part because it, it, it's not the interesting part of the name for them. Um, I think it's also because you sometimes have product organizations, product orgs that have product managers in them, but also have UX designers or data analysts or, you know, customer success people. It could be all kinds of different entity, you know, sort of specialties in a product org. So now you're starting to say the word product, not just to talk about the product managers, but again, this kind of overarching metaphor that you're imposing on the whole situation.
1: Okay. So like, yeah, cause that will then give birth to the phrase, oh, I work with product.
2: Right. Or I'm a product guy, although that's a kind of gendered way, but a product person is something that people try to say more now. Um, Or I do product or, you know, like, like, um, like, uh, you know, what do you do product for the state of California? Like, like it it just, it's Mm. a shorthand, I guess, really.
0: Wow. That's really interesting. So, so then really the challenge uh, for me to understand is why are so many people who are UX designers and calling them that themselves that, and why are they moving so much into this area that we call product?
2: Right. I think it's, um, I'd say my experience and my observations about the larger trends um, are that it's an external thing, that I don't think you have a sort of an internally UX theoretical kind of, or UX trend sort of uh, movement to redefine things as being about product or to shift to a product frame or to um, I think that it's more that product management and, and the product role, you know, ent- entered the stage from a different area and has predominated in, in a lot of the the especially the, the businessy end of the Internet. Um, and so I think it's more that UX people are contending with um, a world where they're are they are in a product they're being put in a product context whether they want to be or not, mm. um, and 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 what I find actually when I speak to folks and get questions from you know the audience and things like that, it's it's a little traumatic. There's pain out there. People are feeling uh, you know upstaged or sidelined or put in a box. You know, or it's the old design thing of like come in at the end and make it pretty or do the UX when we're when we figured it out already. Um, Yeah, I was just talking to to, uh, Bern Erzari today, and she was saying that uh, it reminds her of when IA people started to feel uncomfortable about UX, uh, usurping and doing maybe perhaps a watered down version of their craft and mixing it with other things you could sort of see product doing that too, kind of like oh, yeah. cherry picking UX and mixing it with other things. And then if you're a UX person, you're like, that's not real UX even, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you shouldn't be telling me about UX. I'm the UX person. And yet you say it's part of what you do. You know, I don't mm-hmm. get this. It, it's a there, There's a status <laughs> control Almost, kind of yes. thing going
1: on. Almost like a predatory thing that yeah. they, that product management is eating up yes. UX. And Just I was, like it, IA was kind of, uh, UX was eating up IA back in the day. That's right. my
2: analogy, yeah. And, I, and I, I would say, I'm a product person now, so I would say that uh, um, that's the UX perception and the kind of fear and anxiety. I don't think that product came in to try to like eat UX's lunch or something like that. I think it's just off on its own track and it likes UX, it thinks it knows UX, but it doesn't know it as well as it thinks it does, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but I, I do think that product management, because of its origins, um, it didn't really, I really. I don't think we want to go through like 20th century business history and marketing and, and all that stuff. But product management has a fairly deep history, um, in the, in the sort of, um, you know, in, in the industrial, uh, um, product market. And, um, and I think that therefore it speaks the language of business. It, it, it's a little bit more familiar to the business leaders. And I think that's, what's given it a leg up. Um, designers are either having to translate or evangelize or, or do something to like package their uh, our value as UX people or as designers in, in a way that will be appreciated and compensated and rewarded and, and, and included, um, product management is sort of already in the room with the, with the the business people to begin with. And I think that that, that is an advantage. And, and in a sense, that's why I I switched teams, so to speak, because I figure I can still I can smuggle all the UX in that I need, real UX, and also learn to talk the business talk
0: at the same time, you say that if you move into product management, you can't really do much design work anymore. So you're doing that's something true. different.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And mm. That's a good distinction because the UX that I bring to my role as a product manager is not the work of a UX practitioner. I don't do the craft work. I don't I don't try to tell the UX designers, oh, I was a UX designer too. So I'll tell you how to do it or, or I'll do some of it. Mm. Um, but I'm I might art direct a little bit. You know, I I will give direction. I, I will sort of try to help inform the UX. If, if I give, um, if I have a critique or if I have some some feedback for the for something about the UX, I'm I'm able to articulate it in a way that UX people understand. You know, so so what I bring is UX mm-hmm. awareness, UX sensitivity. But I I I'm not a I'm not a user researcher. But even in my UX practice, I was not a specialist in research. I worked with researchers usually. So. I would say I'm pretty conversant with UX research. I could explain how it works and, and uh, what it is, but I don't do it day-to-day. It's not my day-to-day craft.
1: I'm just wondering about the way in which, I mean, is, is product management as it is now with more, I suppose, UX um, skills attached to the role? And I, I, and I don't actually know if that's, um, if that's standard now for product management roles, that they do have yeah. UXE elements to them. Um, but I'm just wondering whether are we are we just changing the um, the old problem a little bit, where you know no one understands us, you know the UX silo and or the IA silo, whatever it is we've been in over the years as designers that we're we're kind of screaming upwards um, of what the correct solution is mm-hmm. or possible solutions are, and it, they're not getting implemented, not getting accepted. So is this is this a new age where upwards actually does understand UX now enough for us to make a better difference, or are we just mix the whole thing around, end up with the same place.
2: I think it's potentially a bridge. I mean, I, I think that, I, I don't think I'm keeping it all that secret that I think UX people can make good product managers when they want to do that and when they're willing to learn some things that are not UX, that, that are important for being a product manager. Um, but that's because I do want more people who've really been trained in UX and understand it and don't just have a superficial glancing, you know, knowledge of it to be in those roles. I think that that... That empowers the UX people who stay, who who are just fully UX people and don't want to have to do the product management, the, the data analysis, the staring at spreadsheets, or or you know endless Jira ticket yeah, grooming and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm.
1: So, so what are the what are the skills then that um, UXs should have or understanding rather of of product that benefits us? Well,
2: well. Um, let me tr- the whole product. <laughs> Let me try to read. So you're saying, what is the what do the UX people bring to the table for the product? Or, or... yeah, no. What
1: well, you said about the, you know these these things about product that UXers you know should be aware of. Um, oh yeah. So no, what, uh, what are those kind oh, of oh, like so, you know coming down from product? What do I need to grab hold of as a UXer and understand?
2: Sure. Well, I think you know one thing to think about is the uh, the the famous somewhat oversimplified um, Martin Erickson diagram that shows uh, you know three circles with uh, uh, UX, or maybe design, and then technology, and then business, and puts product in the middle. And, and you can debate mm-hmm. this, and I, that's a whole other podcast probably. But um, you know, a simple way to look at it is to say that if you come from a UX background, you probably have a big chunk of the UX circle pretty well covered, or at least you're able to you know collaborate on those things. Um, and you therefore probably have some of that business and technology knowledge from that, from the those little parts of the overlap, you know, where you you work you worked with the salesperson, or you understood what your what your goals, your business goals were, and that helped you inform your design work. Um, or you negotiated with engineers, and you became conversant enough with the stack to design for it without being constrained by it. But you know, pushing it, but that, that sort of thing where you don't ask for kooky stuff, but you're able to push back when the engineer says it's not possible, and you're like, oh, I just prototyped it; it's, it's definitely possible. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, so it's really more about those two wings um, going deeper into that and further away from design. You know, mm-hmm. uh, n- not abandoning design, but going into areas that designers traditionally haven't had to know about, um, and sometimes temperamentally have not wanted to know it, to, to deal with. There are UX people who already have probably the full range of skills to be a product manager, just because they are fascinated by those things and they're and they're um, uh, you know learning about it through working with their adjacent colleagues or maybe working in a small enough a team or a startup where they're just there isn't a product manager, so they end up sort of becoming a product manager and picking up those additional crafts along the way. And that's partly how I got better at product management was by having to do both jobs at once, which isn't a great idea in the long run, but it did force me to learn stuff. Um, but for instance, like I had mentors who filled in gaps for me that definitely made a difference. Um, a, a big part of it was data analysis, being you know things like understanding growth and retention, revenue models, um, uh, and being able to, you know, uh, instrument the product properly so that you can figure out whether the goals that you're shooting for are happening, and 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 so that you can analyze, say, the funnels or or the the user journeys th- through actually having, um, you know, uh, legitimate at scale data about what's happening. Um, I, I think as a designer, as a UX person, I, I didn't really. I was aware of those things um, but it wasn't something i spent a lot of time working on or thinking about and i don't know a lot of i mean and and when i started doing data analysis as a product manager we didn't have a lot of the tools that we that we've since developed so like things like mixed mixed panel and amplitude or even google analytics weren't weren't there yet or weren't in the current form Um, so what i was taught a lot of things to do with spreadsheets you know like like cohort analyses where you had to pull all the numbers down and then kind of Parse through them yourself um, with formulas and things like that. Yeah. A lot of this has gotten a little bit more automated, but th- there's not a ton of designers who want to be in spreadsheets all day. You know that that, that that's just, you know it's just a sort of a it's a style thing, if, if nothing else. Um, and so, but there are some, you know, and some like geeks like me, you know, mm-hmm. who like like numbers and don't mind fiddling around with them and things like that. So, but a lot of it is like un- understanding. Business concepts, whether that's operational or financial or or market, uh, addressing the market, finding a market, sizing a market, going to the market, product market fit. Um, those are all things that you might have glancing familiarity with as a UX person, but you you probably would need to brush up on them. Or again, if you're if you're in a product context, you know, on a product team, and you're practicing UX, and you don't want to become a product manager, but you just want to be in the conversation and effective. I think it still behooves you to be conversant with those things. In the same mm. way that you want to be conversant with your engineer, you're not, you shouldn't have to write the code. But again, you, you should know kind of the ropes. You should know the, the basic concepts and how to talk about them. And you, and frankly, I think um, as UX people in general, you know, we're supposed to be good at uh, empathizing with other people and learning how they think and meeting them where they already are rather than making them come to us. And I found that you can do that with your, with your product colleagues as well.
0: I think this is what I really love about your book is that you're being so honest about all the things that makes a good product manager and especially the things that might feel not something that designers would love to do for example, Mm -hmm. spreadsheets. You also mentioned the Airtable as a tool, and I I love that also because that's not (laughs) as intimidating as as, uh, Excel, I feel. Uh, So sometimes there are these techniques and tricks to get into it. And you mentioned there's lots of things that are more automated as well, but there really is this core message as well that I I tend to agree with that in UX design, we don't get into data the way that we perhaps say that we do. (laughs) We are very good at qualitative research but not getting into the hard numbers and hard facts and figures as much, which are the ones that perhaps affect the bottom line and can we can react to sooner.
2: Yeah, I, I think actually that there's, if anything, there's a posture for very legitimate reasons of championing qualitative data, which is often ignored for, for quantitative data. So, so, you know, a lot of UX people, I think what they experience is um, perhaps not very sophisticated sort of metric chasing that feels like it's forcing the design or the direction of the product to go, it's distorting the way things should be. And, and and there's a concern about that. It's reductive and it claims to explain why, but it's really just telling you what, you know, and things like that. And you really do need to do qualitative research to understand, to, to test whether your, your um, you know, your theory or your hypothesis of what's going on actually bears out. But I think that the, that leads, that, that ends up kind of, uh, swinging the pendulum too far the other way for, for us in UX sometimes, where we end up dismissing the data as if it's just completely a pack of lies or or never can never be as rich and meaningful as qualitative research. Um, when, as you say, it, 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 there, there are two different sides of a coin. And you know, I w- I wouldn't want to fly an airplane without instruments. You know, just just on like they used to do, you know, just on their eyeballs and and and, and their gumption or something like that. I want to know how far we are off the ground right now. You know, and, and and are we straight or or are we are we at an angle? And so for me, instrumenting my product is like I sometimes think, how did we ever do this before? Well, we didn't know like wh- whether people were clicking on a thing or not. Um, but I the other thing I'd say to to designers and to UX folks is that. These are the these are the materials that you're working with. Just like you know, you, you need to understand technology because you're not designing shoes or houses or you know, amusement parks. You're, you're designing you know software, and and, and uh, it's made out of out of bits and bytes. And and so you need to have some understanding of that material, just as a potter needs to know about how grainy the clay is, you know, how wet or dry it is, and you know how 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 long you have to fire it to make it strong things like that. Um, and I think that. The other thing is that a designer needs to understand their constraints. Um, it, it, it's really, not, in some ways, you, know, you can argue that design is nothing but working with constraints. You know, because it's art, otherwise, right? I mean, it's just making creative things. But design is about crafting a thing that that meets, you know, that that meets the needs and also works within the limitations of the situation. Uh, I had a, an architect architect friend years ago who liked to say that his favorite kind of project was not like the big uh, master plan for the university or something like that. It was a, a small kitchen remodel where there wasn't enough space, really, because then he had to really be clever and, and, and figure out a beautiful solution that you didn't think was possible, that that, that took advantage of the quirks of the space and and that didn't try to force things into it that just weren't going to work at that scale. Um, so I, I I find data to be a constraint like that, too, like knowing how the product's doing or knowing about the the, the 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 trends you know how, how are we performing against our our okrs or anything those are things that i don't want to wallow in them as a designer but i want to be aware that, that where the wall is and not run into it
1: i mean yeah i mean that the following of the metrics the checking the metrics is something which i see yeah i don't understand that it's clearly something i'd expect the product manager to have his his or her you know, fingers on but uh, i wonder if we're saying that or what we seem to be implying is that ux researchers lack skills um or interest in the um quantitative side of things because now we're talking about understanding behaviour as well so not just mm-hmm. the following the mm-hmm. metrics, we're talking about the research aspect of data. And right. um, you know, is it is it your place as a product manager to be doing data research, or is it a missing or, or do we do we need data analysts to do that? Or is it a missing part of a UX researcher's role that's a bit weaker than it should be?
2: Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, I, I want to be careful not to overgeneralize. Um, there are certainly incredibly data savvy UX researchers out there, right? And and also, people are practicing different mish, mishmashes of subsets of all of these things in different combinations on different teams. And and so, having said all that, um, I I think that. Um, well, and and that's hard, part of the answer too, because I don't think I'm in a position to say this role should do this job and this role shouldn't do it, or something like that. I think that is to be negotiated among teams based on the skills available and things like that. Yeah. Um, I think that that what you do need is um coherency among these different like approaches you You, you need some kind of bringing together uh, like what you often find is that um user researchers are doing user research, and product managers. Are doing you know getting outside the building and talking to customers uh, often in a kind of a half baked way compared to the practices of user research and 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 in a without talking to each other or in fact maybe resenting each other or stepping on each other's toes like I just talked to that customer why did you bug them again or Mm -hmm. you know uh, things like that and and that's a sign of that kind of incoherence uh, uh, you know the decoherence or something like that and what you need and I think the product manager often has to do this. And is often the one failing to really make it happen. But you need to bring all these things together. Get the research agendas compared with each other. Figure out where can you piggyback. Should we send two surveys? No, let's send one, and I'll put my questions in yours. Or, or maybe the product manager wants to do a survey, and the researcher needs to explain to them that a survey is not always the right thing to do. Or you know, th- there needs to be kind of like coming together and recognition that there's a shared interest in discovery, product discovery, if you want to call it that, and that it partakes of all of these different modalities, right? Um, and. I do think the product role has to be a synthesizer, but I still would challenge anybody in that system to be able to be in the conversation, you know, to, 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 to know enough about the person sitting next to you's world that you can help them and, and also receive their information and, and, and put it into your work.
1: Right. Yeah. So you're, you're trying to achieve um, not just collaboration, but also a balance in the, in the team you're working with. Mm.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and 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 I think that I think a good team is actually coaching and teaching each other all the time, right? So yeah. you're leveling up. you you know, you're. If you've got data people on your team and you're a little bit data shy as a designer, you know, make friends with them. Tell them like I find this stuff really intimidating. Where should I start? And and they love it. You know, they're like they want to show you their numbers. They want to talk about it. You know, and then you might somebody might be, oh, okay, enough. I I didn't want to know that much, but you know, now you've got a conversation going, now you've got a buddy, and and, and and that can lead to all kinds of things.
0: Yeah, you mentioned earlier that the product manager doesn't manage people in that sense, mm-hmm. but you also say that one of the most important traits of a product manager is to love interpersonal dynamics, which is part of this, is that you are the person who perhaps can help people understand each other, the better, other better and work together in a better way.
2: Yeah, I really think that's true, and, and I think that... Um, when I when I've been a people manager, um, I, I I think that I I tend towards what they what they like to call these days service management or sometimes servant management. But an idea of not a manager as somebody who's sort of standing up on a pedestal saying we will win, you know, or something like that, but somebody more like in in the the scrum with the with the team, noticing who needs help, coaching people, getting other people unstuck, telling people they need to talk to each other. And just basically unlocking people, you know, giving them what they need, help making giving them enough boundaries so they don't run off the roof or something like that. But then mostly just like empowering them and letting them go. Um, but noticing when things are starting to get out of out of skew or when there is a miscommunication and intervening. Um, I think that that's uh, that's a lot of what a good product manager has to do. And it's not it's not like managing a person, doing their review, deciding if they get a raise. It, it, it's none of that stuff. It's just. Understanding the people you're working with, and what they need to, to be effective together. There's a question I did want to ask, Christian.
1: And At one point in the book, you um, you have the line. Let's um, that That the word hypothesis scares the shit out of people. <laughs> now, I, I I love using I love using the word hypothesis and hypothesis best design. So I'm really curious. So
2: why does the word hypothesis scare the shit out of people? Because it's Greek. <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe. I mean, you know, there's a lot of uh, you know ten dollars words that that it's fun to know a word like that, right? That has a specific meaning and is in your trade, and and you sound smart when you say it, you know, right? But but the people who aren't really sure what it means or what it means in this context are somewhat intimidated by it, and. It really just means like your idea, you know, your the thought you had for why something is happening. It, 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 you know, so so I'm not saying you have to use you know single syllable words, and you can't say the word hypothesis. But um, it's just, and with, I mean, in fact, I think in the context of the book, I'm telling people like, don't be afraid of that word. You know, you, you can you can get in there and be part of the experimentation process, and you should be. Frankly, if you're doing experiments and you're not working with UX people, then I don't. You know, that's insane. <laughs> I agree about that one
1: so this so is his hypothesis the the fear of hypotheses do you think that's that is more designers that are a bit you know
2: um,
1: intimidated by it, or does it stretch out into the organizations as well
2: no I would think probably for a lot of people that's a slightly academic-y sounding term that that might not be all that warm and and, and helpful I'm not, again I'm not against the word I just I just think it's it's not communicating that well to a, a lot of people um, also, I think there's another element here, which is not about the terminology, which is that the heavy, the, the model of doing a lot of experiments, especially if it's just a lot of A-B tests, is another thing that's kind of anathema to designers because it you could be, as they say, polishing a local maximum. You know, you might be just like optimizing some tiny thing without realizing there's a much better thing over there. Um, and it's, a, it's sort of a matter also of, of uh, um, you know, Oh, we don't need to plan or design anything. We'll just ship something and then start tweaking it and experimenting it with it, and it'll get better. And there's a little bit of truth to that. But if you go 100% that way, you basically have just gotten rid of your UX team because you don't need them. I mean, you just need some people to make screens for you, but you don't. You know, you're, you're going to let the customers vote on everything, mm-hmm. and so that's not a very comfortable idea. I don't think that's really the way to do experimentation. But but I think in some shops that might be what's actually happening.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know. There's a there's there's a um, figure that goes around with, what was it, seven or eight out of 10 experiments fail. And I know a, a lot of designers feel it's kind of disheartening when you, you see kind of all that work going into experiments and, you know, there's only maybe two of them actually show some positive impact. And you know, I think most UX designers would
2: probably like to think their work is more successful than that most of the time. Right. And it helps if you never check. <laughs> <laughs> then you could keep thinking that but uh the the uh and frankly you know an experiment that fails teaches you something for one, for one thing it teaches you that idea is not going to work don't don't spend any more time on that idea or at least not that way um so i don't consider an experiment that didn't get the result to be a waste of time i mean if if all of them don't get a result yeah. that's a waste of time but if you get any wins at all you can bank those and and the losses you can walk away from and go back to what you were doing before
0: yeah, because one of the traits you also mentioned for product managers is being courageous and making mistakes. And I feel that this is part of it, realizing that it's okay because you are there's a potential to learn so much from it.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. I mean, look, we all want to be great at our job, right? I mean, I, I think, and and, and, and and that's admirable. We should be ambitious, try to do great things. Um, and that But that can lead to perfectionism, too, and a fear of making mistakes and a fear of failure. And I think that that then leads to much less innovation.
0: Perfect note to end on. Thank you, Christian, for being with us.
2: It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: I always
1: find this quantitative and qualitative balance, battle, um, misbalance, um, really fascinating. I mean, yeah, I know Chris said in the interview as well, we I mean, want to be careful not to hang out entire group. Uh, and then you go, but... Um, having said that um experience says that u uh, x researchers by and large tend to favor the qualitative side of things um you know the empirical research- the research with people interviews with people research, you know usability testing with people um directly yep. and and that's not you know that, that's not a bad thing it's a really really good thing because that's how we learn
0: and it's it's not surprising because people i mean people in ux are interested in people that's what's really attracting us to this to this yeah. profession which means that we are be, going to be better at that part of the job because we yeah. enjoy it doing- and if you
1: do come from the i suppose if you've come from the the more artistic angle of ux in your you know um mm. previous work or education we talk about like art directors who've become ux designers um or then mm. we we talk about People with other backgrounds, maybe more business backgrounds, that have become UX designers, and there, there is a yeah. little bit of like where you fall on the coin to it. But again, generalizing, but um, um but it's it's still you need you need both of these things. And it was an excellent. Um, uh, I I do like the example he gave. Uh, you wouldn't want to fly a plane without instruments. That ties into mm. when I'm teaching about analytics. That I, I normally use a boat rather than an aeroplane, but I say yes, you need to know whether your boat's heading for the rocks. Um yeah. and you to know, make sure you you've reached the right harbour, but um, that's not enough. You still need to know whether it was a you know how was the experience for your crew and passengers, because um, you could you could be flying like the clappers across a, a really choppy you know bumpy sea, and everyone has an yeah. awful journey, but you still got there. Exactly. So you need to know both quantitative and qualitative.
0: It made me think of, of like just designing a, a web form, a critical web form on a website, and how in UX, we tend to focus on uh, helping people fill it in and understand the labels of the form and filling it in successfully. And once we've done that, and we've done usability tests, and we feel confident that we yeah this form works for people, we release it. Whereas flying the plane part would be do we get any indications that the form isn't working because things could be happening that we could not possibly anticipate mm. within our usability testing, which means that we need to be looking at that data. But it's far and far between when I hear people uh, say that we need to put those systems in place that give us the real live, uh, live data about how our, our well product then is actually performing.
1: Mm. And that question about you know, whether it should be the product manager that's doing, the the quantitative side of things, the data analysis, whether it should be researchers, and yeah, I think Chris. I mean, Chris is right there. It's 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 got to be a balanced team. And if someone is on your team doing that kind of research, then great. And maybe as a as a product manager, you you back off a little bit from that. Um, and maybe you've got other things you need to report or look at. I mean, it's it's there are new there are no hundred percent correct answers to any of these things. It's yeah. all about knowing who's around you and and um, re-
0: what they are interested in doing, what their competencies are, uh, and uh, making sure that somebody is responsible yeah.
1: for it. Yeah. Really. But so summarise, there that we understand how product management people end up doing the the numbers part, the the data part, but it's not necessarily mm-hmm. what they have to do. Um, and I, exactly. I I think this moves us nicely onto the the thing about just the, the phrases and terms and expressions that we have, we brought up in the interview about hypotheses because Christian in his book yeah. says the word hypothesis scares people, intimidates people. And mm. you know, me and you, we've, we've looked at this and talked about this with the amount of different phrases, the amount of argument we do about phrases, titles, and what they mean and all the rest of it. And it's a really good point about how intimidated we can be by all these you know, expressions of phrases we, we throw around and we have s- stamped on our email signatures and so on. It's daunting. It undermines your confidence.
0: Yeah, it can help pe- make people feel insecure and uh, they might think they might have an idea of it about what it is. And then they realize, well, I haven't gotten exactly right. And then they get this imposter syndrome thinking, well, look, I'm not really doing the right thing because I'm not speaking the right language. So many things going on within within how we are scaring ourselves. Yeah, and just
1: we said there about the right language. I mean, Mm -hmm. just giving an example of of this podcast. Mm. Over over half the people listening now don't speak, probably don't speak English as a native language. Yeah, exactly. The whole of our, well, at least from an English perspective, um, everything we have out there is in English, Um, Mm -hmm. and. If that isn't your native language, then it's an additional layer of intimidation that you're adding to all this. You've got to work out what it is in your culture, your language.
0: Exactly. And exactly what you said now, culture, in your culture, because that is... The whole thing with it is that language brings with it cultural references. And if you don't have those, you're not going to understand.
1: Yeah. And if if Christian is... um, We didn't actually ask him. I don't know if he speaks more than one language. Um, But let's just say that he performs most of his consulting work and training and so on in English, means that the con- if he gets an experience from the people he comes into contact with that these kind of phrases are intimidating, then we can be pretty sure that it's even more intimidating when English isn't your first language. Yeah, yeah. Um, exactly and I, and, I, and I really think that's one of the the big challenges that we've we have on a on a global level with with user experience design or product design or whatever you want to call the thing we do making digital stuff um is is um, sharing the understanding um in a way that um isn't prescriptive isn't kind of like this is how you do it you've got to still understand that you've got to allow people to absorb this into their own language and culture.
0: Exactly, express the thing. They might be doing the same thing, but it is expressing how they do it in different ways. Yeah. Which which brings us full circle, I think, to one of my biggest takeaways from from this interview about how important, again, communication is and communication internally Mm. and agreeing on the things you're talking about and making sure that everyone's on the same page and, and empathizing with the people who you work with, both your team and the other people within your organization. If, if you get better at that and you spend more time on that, then it's going to be so much easier just doing your day-to-day job.
1: And also the way that you distribute tasks or, um, I suppose, specialisms. Um, mm. Looking back to what we said about if, the, if no one else is doing the quantitative side of, of data analysis, then, yeah, someone can step up and do that um yeah. what did what did christian say there about um you know like what what to what to think about questions to ask or things to kind of make things work better it's like you know understanding um what your neighbor does to kind of help them um you know we can be better at jobs by understanding what our neighbor's doing um exactly teammates yeah. are doing.
0: you uh, found some recommend listening as always james you do a good job of this thank you
1: <laughs> oh, I think I think what could be nice for everyone to listen to now is is going back to episode 192, one of our um, Kim Goodwin interviews, um, and that 192 is one way um, one called "Values Are the Experience," um, and in that chat with Kim, we do talk about this about understanding our organisations and the values of our organisations, um, mm. and how we can use that and our UX skills to change the way in which decisions are made and design design decisions are made
0: and this interview was conducted in collaboration with uh, ambition and power and it was live in front of a studio audience as we call it and if you're curious about ambition and power and the continuous learning program that they offer visit uxpodcast.com forward slash empower remember to keep moving see you on the other side
1: About where does a mountain climber keep their aeroplane?
0: I don't know, James. Where does a mountain climber keep their aeroplane?
1: In a cliffhanger.
0: (laughs) Pretty good. Well, thank you.